0: You're listening to episode 223 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I am your host, Kyle Daigle. Uh, You might not have heard me say that for quite some time, so (laughs) I want to apologize in advance. Uh, When I took on the podcast from doing co-hosting with uh, Sean for such a long time, I naively thought that I'd be able to do an interview podcast every week, and then it slipped to every two weeks. And then we kind of had the holidays and then January, uh, and I realized over time that I just can't do an interview podcast. It takes a lot more time than I ever would have imagined to do only an interview podcast. So I came up with an idea. I talked to a couple of my friends, um, and colleagues that do some really interesting work and I basically invited them to come on and be recurring guests so we can have the same sort of conversations that Sean and I had about Ruby, technology, being developers, working in startups, working in big companies, working in small companies. And so I'm excited to bring you the first of that new series today uh, with my friend Joel. So Joel will become a recurring guest and I'll introduce a couple of other people over the next couple of weeks as we get the Ruby on Rails podcast back on track. So many of you have reached out to me, Daigle on Twitter and GitHub and said, when is the podcast coming back? So I really appreciate everyone reaching out. Uh, It's super fun to do this, but uh, I totally underestimated how much work it was going to be doing it by myself. So, I came up with a plan and here is the beginning of that plan. So uh, I'm excited I think this conversation uh, is great. You'll get to know Joel a little bit what he does uh, he works very differently than I do uh, and he has a pretty cool side project that we're going to be talking about as well. So uh, this is the start of something good. hopefully uh, you should hear back from us in uh, about two weeks. We're gonna go bi-weekly with this. Uh, and so let's get started. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Mobile Dev plus Test Conference. Mobile software and IoT developers, do you need to learn the latest tools to develop smart IoT, and mobile software, the popular mobile dev plus test conferences back again in San, in San Diego from April 24th to 28th, 2017, bringing new mobile development training and hands-on tutorials, learn advanced development skills from Android, iOS, to building cross-platform apps, Azure, Gradle, how to implement speech recognition in iOS apps, and much, much more. As an added bonus, Mobile Dev Plus Test is co located with IoT Dev Plus Test conferences. Your one registration automatically gives you access to both programs with over 60 learning sessions. Choose either foundational, intermediate, or advanced skills based on the program. Choose for your skill set. HTPS://well.tc//ROR Mobile Dev. Ruby on Rails listeners use the code ROR mobile to receive $200 off their conference registration fee. That's up to $600 off if you register by February 24th. You can learn more at well.tc ROR mobile dev. Again, that's well.tc ROR mobile dev. So, Joel, I need to know, did you go to the Patriots parade today? Absolutely not. Oh, my goodness. Wait, a- you said that. Not. Wait, absolutely not like you're a proud Bostonite and you won't go to the parade or like you don't like the Patriots because this might be the fastest podcast recording I've ever done. So, this th- th- that's a great <laughs> question, by the way.
1: Uh, it's absolutely not because I live on the green line. And if you're, if, if you're familiar with Boston and being on the green line, Fighting traffic to get down there uh, on a day-to-day basis is hard enough, and then you throw a parade in the mix, and it's just a whole other, just absolute mess. Yeah, I mean, so, you could get there, but you may not get home for. Oh <laughs> yeah. Couple days. <laughs> yeah, and it's a mess. It's a mess. Uh, and the and today would have been a work is was a working day for yeah. me. Yeah. So um, I. And my client just happens to be right on the parade route, like right on Tremont Street. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't want to fight it. And uh, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to handle all that. So yeah, I, I, I stayed out. And, and as far as like me being a conscientious uh, dissenter against uh, Patriot Nation, <laughs> that's not the case. I'm a very, I'm very much a like, um, Uh, impartial bystander in all this. Like, my (laughs) my in-laws are all Pats fans. They all live down near Foxborough. So it's just part of the, you know, part of the package. And uh, my brother-in-law even went to the game. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. He's got good connections with uh, his side of the in-law equation. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed watching some of it on TV, but... uh, yeah, I, I tried to stay. I tried to stay away. I stayed in my side of Boston um, as much as possible. <laughs> Why? Did you wish
0: that you could? you wish that you could come up here? No, I don't care enough. I just like to live through other people's joy. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's like well, I'm looking at the photos and I was like, all right. And that's an interesting thing of working at like a large company. But one that's distributed is you don't really get the like. Oh my goodness. You know, I guess, like, unless it's like San Francisco, like the Giants or something, I don't know. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. it's like, eh, you know. I was trying to push for like a a holiday day or something on Monday, but it wasn't really panning out. Yeah. (laughs) Nice try. Yeah. Well, you know, there's always next year. (laughs) Awesome. You can plan ahead. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, you know, it's pretty consistent these days.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Much to the much to the dismay of the rest of the world. I think Uh, I never realized how much people act like actively like seething, like just hate everything having to do with the Patriots. Like I could understand like really disliking them winning all the time, but it's just like, man, just the, the seething hatred is, is, palpable.
0: Yeah. We've got the same thing here in Connecticut with like the UConn women since we have no professional Uh, sports and like last year they were writing articles around how they basically shouldn't play basketball anymore because they're so good. They're ruining the game. Mm -hmm. That was pretty good. And uh, now that we've uh, now that I've successfully ostracized 85% of the listening audience. (laughs) um, Thanks for joining me, Joel. Um, For those uh, that don't know who you are, why don't you uh, give us a quick little introduction? What you're up to, who you are, um,
1: wow. Where do we start? Yeah, um, what's so, your claim to fame? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't have a whole lot, not a whole lot <laughs> to grasp onto there. Um. So, uh, uh, Ruby developer, I live up in Boston, as I mentioned. Um, been up here f- for almost um, just shy of 20 years now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, it, it's, uh, yeah, just writing Ruby every day. Currently a, a freelancer, a uh, contractor, just doing my thing, uh, floating around here and there. Um, been doing that for the past year, and before that, some startups and consultancies. I used to work at a little place called Thoughtbot uh, hmm. in town, uh, which just so happens that's the fr- that's where I first met Kyle Daigle. I know, small world, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a uh, training. Uh, yeah, it was like a Ruby slash testing. I think like workshop. Yeah, I think so. Um, probably like 2007. I want to say 2008. Long time ago. Um, yeah, I remember it. I remember it vividly because <laughs> I had to bring my dog in. <laughs> my my dog, which we just got. Uh, like three days before and she was sick so I had to bring her in so that entire like three-day span uh, stand out in my mind pretty vividly.
0: I, I was gonna say at least, I'm glad you have like a reason to anchor that memory because I don't have a lot of vivid <laughs> memories about that training <laughs> uh, not that it was bad or anything it's just I uh, you know time, time the the time keeps on uh, coming.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a whole yeah, there's only so much room uh in the brain. But yeah, um yeah, my my dog was with me. She was sick. Um it's quite possible that you hear her snoring in the background. So if you hear anything <laughs> strange like that, that's probably her. Um but uh yeah, I worked at Thoughtbot for a little under 2 years and before that, uh, freelancing, but mostly uh just been hanging out around here, been a Trying to stay as much a part of the Ruby community in, in the Boston area as much as possible. And um yeah, working on some open source, working on the consulting, working on my little side project. And, yeah,
0: let's spill the
1: beans. Uh oh yeah. So that side project? Yeah. Well. Don't be shy. <laughs> don't be shy. All right. Time to go into pitch mode. Um so little side project, it's called shoebox. Uh sh- At shoebox.io, shoebox.io, it is what I would call like a file uploads slash image uploads as a service, Uh, kind of offloading the work to to get uh, files on customers or clients or users' computers into an S3 bucket as quickly and efficiently as possible. As possible, Um, and it it was just it was born of 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 a a bunch of boilerplate that I started seeing all the time, uh, getting getting things like paperclip or carrier wave or uh, libraries of that ilk uh, set up and working and tweaked, and it just became a bit of a bore. It became a bit too much. So I'm like, oh, there's got to be an easier way. That's where Shoebox came in. Uh, just tried to tried to make it so that it was as clean and simple as possible. And on the client side, uh, of course, there's some setup in the background, sort of like, you know, the bucket setup and course policies and um, signatures and all that stuff. I try to make it as simple as possible so that you can just drop a bit of JavaScript on your app, um, on your website and start dragging and dropping or clicking and uploading and boom, all of a sudden it's in your s3 bucket
0: so i mean like i'm not gonna lie the coolest thing that's uh, i've ever seen <laughs> i'm a sucker for like really impressive little uh, like front pages you know just because like i don't do anything on the side <laughs> anymore yeah uh like to be i just like took a silly little screenshot and dragged and dropped it into that little uploader to get the url and i was like okay that's pretty cool
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's very it's very handy and it it was it was absolutely a scratch my own itch yeah. uh, type of thing. And I I had a couple weeks, uh, had a couple months in between jobs where I just threw everything into it and uh, got in touch with a designer, a former colleague uh, that still works at Thoughtbot, and um, got him
0: to do some design for me. I was going to be stupid impressed because I was looking at it and I was like, (laughs) is this all you Joel? (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. I've mangled.
1: So, uh, Kyle Fiedler, uh, was the, uh, another Kyle, uh, was the guy who, um, I got to design it. I, I acquired his services when, uh, he had a little free time before he and his wife had another baby. So, uh, he did a bunch of that and, you know, disappeared which is good. Uh, having a baby, you have responsibilities and uh, allowed me to mangle the hell out of it. So if you <laughs> it, don't you know hold your uh, hold being impressed uh, because I'm I was pretty good at just completely um, massacring the styling and uh, markup on that thing. but uh, yeah, it's uh, right now it's it looks okay. It looks pretty good. Um, he did a great job laying the foundation for that. Uh, but in the time between when he, you know, handed that off to me, I've done as best as I could and just been iterating on getting the feature set right and working with people mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm meeting the needs that they have. Mm-hmm. So that's the majority of what I, what I've been trying to do is just make sure that everybody's happy with, with the features that, that, uh, are available to them. Um, and then working towards like a bit more of a, um, a bit more of a, uh, a launch on, uh, like, a, a real, um, on a better level, a higher level.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm curious, like, uh, so how, how is this running? What, uh, what's the tech stack underneath it and everything like that?
1: Uh, well, considering this is the Rails, uh, Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm really hoping
0: you're going to tell me it's PHP or something. <laughs> uh,
1: it, is, it is pretty much just Rails for the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm, it's, uh, it's in the process of being split out into a, a couple different uh, pieces. So um, I try to be as MVP as possible um and and just do everything in that one monolith. Um, and it's fine it's worked out it, it's worked out really well. Um, but over time and and scrutiny and working along with it, the the edges start to become a little bit more obvious like where rails needs to end and where something else needs to start. And uh, it's one of the things I've learned through working on this is, is you know keeping in mind what the responsibilities of of a product are and how one part can affect another part just by virtue of just deploying all the time. For this app, uh, it's pretty small. I mean, there's not a whole lot that needs to happen in it. But uh, what became more obvious was that you know marketing stuff, so like blogs and landing pages and all that stuff, like that could probably live on its own. Um, that's gonna live on its own um, so that's being pulled out to a Jekyll app right now um, or a Jekyll like static site probably throw that up on S3. Um, then there's like the actual services stuff so things that do work like creating signatures like S3 signatures and creating the actual image transformations like mm-hmm. that those are just a couple of Ajax calls from client websites and uh, so those I would rather not bring down if I need to update like a blog post or something. Like sure. That would kind of suck. Um so that's getting extracted out and the rest is like the dashboard, like the general Railsy appy type stuff. Yeah. Uh so when those when those edges started to become a little bit more colored in, uh, uh darkened, um we just decided to start splitting everything out. So the services side of stuff I'm rebuilding in Sinatra, um, uh, just because it didn't need the the bulk of what Rails offers. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's been fun lately, like diving into Sinatra and and really getting an idea of what Rails gives you and uh, what it doesn't, uh, or what it forces right. you to do. Um, but it's it's been a really it's been a great journey, like figuring all that stuff out. And I know that I've got a lot ahead of me in terms of, uh, you know, what's there and what's needed.
0: Um, So I'm kind of curious, like, you know, For folks that generally work in a consultancy environment or work as a freelancer where, you know, you have a very clear deliverable or at least hypothetically uh, where you're doing some work and it's going to be done at some point and then you might work on something else and do it again. Uh, How do you compare the difference, uh, the differences or the similarities between working on this side project, which is ultimately a product you're trying to sell versus, you know being brought in on a, a freelance or a contract basis to work and deliver something like does the code if you were to show me both pieces of code like would it look basically the same or uh, it, it, like if we were to be honest is like is the shoebox code like a little grosser or sort of how do you uh like how do you manage that uh that's a that's a great
1: question it depends on so on the client side it really it depends on the client and the relationship and what the deliverable looks like mm-hmm. um and i would say the i would say most of the shoebox code is it looks pretty good um the downside of but there there's there's clearly an indication that there's one person working on this all the time (laughs) um and it but i personally don't think anything looks really really all that bad because i have all the time well all the time that I allow, right, uh, right. <laughs> I, I, can, I can go as deep or as, as uh, shallow as I want with the quality. Um, and I would say on the Ruby side, the quality is a little better than the JavaScript side. And why um, is that, Joel? Because <laughs> I had a coworker
0: basically ask me to write some JavaScript, and since yeah. I've like been working just in backend services for like yeah. four years now, yeah. I am like useless, useless. You, me, and you, dude,
1: simpático. <laughs> uh, it's the it's the same it's the same scenario. Like, I know I know a little bit more than enough to be dangerous, but I'm not going out to to like assimilate with the next uh, big uh, JavaScript framework or, you know, build tool or whatever. I just get it done. Um, (laughs) There are no... uh, I shouldn't say this. There are no tests for a lot of the JavaScript stuff um, just because just because sure take no, well, like so much
0: time that's part of the reason why I wanted to ask is like I feel like um, especially in the rails and Ruby community there's such a fervor you mm-hmm. know for like writing good code that's well tested and like mm-hmm. you know the craft of it all and I don't think that's bad I think that's definitely a good thing but I think th- when the rubber hits the road like a few people talk about how you know like there are parts of githubs internals that are just utterly gross but they're still working 10 years in you know, uh, because it served a need that the customer had that we needed to, that it was like worth taking on that risk. And so I'm always sort of curious. And when I talk to people who are working on things, whether it's for clients or for the company they work at, or especially side projects, because it's like the most well-factored, beautifully tested thing that doesn't actually hit a need is going to die. And then it won't matter how beautiful its code was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's,
1: I just wish but, people
0: talked about it more openly. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And it, it's like, I'm I'm very anti-dogma. I'm very anti-cargo culting. Uh, sometimes it's sometimes it's necessary to just kind of like latch on to something and, and, and do it because other people are doing it. But um, it's at times it can be to the detriment of, of the thing that you're working on. So um, you have to be... You have to be open-minded and pragmatic about how you approach it so with with shoebox it was like well the areas that need like good solid testing mm-hmm. uh of course I, i'm gonna like i'm gonna look at it and be like if that doesn't work then the whole the rest of it is shit so um if it, but if it's like oh, this is a one-off thing and i know it's probably gonna die uh soon then i I'm not really going to worry about it. Like a section of the app is not going to, not going to be around. Mm -hmm. Then I'm not Mm going to really worry about testing it too much. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like I get it. I feel the same pain when I hear somebody like, no test everything. But at the same time, it's like, it's Ruby. If, if you don't test a whole lot, then, you know, you're probably going to be bit, but that's what regression tests are for. And, Things like honey badger and all that. <laughs> <And> PagerDuty. <laughs> so, duty. And Pager and, duty.
0: Yeah, so. I, just, I think that I think it's I think uh, software is most interesting in those sort of boundaries, you know, yeah. because like in a perfect world, sure, everything would be 100 percent tested, we never write any bugs, but that just doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, I and I I haven't I haven't allowed myself to be convinced to start writing haskell much to the (laughs) and (laughs) uh you know all the other functional languages uh strongly typed compiled languages so um yeah i'm not going to get there and in the in in the time being i'm perfectly fine being having a good critical eye as to what should be and shouldn't be tested but yeah man you're working on a you're working on a side project a, a product that you're trying to get up off the ground nothing will ever happen if you're just obsessing over the minutiae. So
0: yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you, what did you bring us? Do you have anything that you want to chat about in this new, not quite interview format that we're going to give a, give a run to
1: give it a whirl. Uh, yeah. So the, one of the things I've been looking at with, um, rewriting, bits of shoebox with Sinatra is other uh ORMs. Um Ooh. so I've been I've been taking a look at what's out there and, and trying out some new stuff and uh dipped my toes into ROM RB. Have you heard about that? Taking a look at that? Uh,
0: I don't think so, but then that other one just got uh renamed and so I'm always worried that that's the one we're talking about. <laughs> Yeah,
1: they're they're, they're kind of like bouncing around, but this is this is like, um, uh, dry RB. I think is the pro project, like a larger umbrella project, and okay. I could be completely wrong. Um, and there are a couple of them that are kind of floating around. There's like Trailblazer, which takes other. It's like a Railsy framework type thing, but it but it's composed of a lot of other smaller. Uh, open source projects. Um, but ROM RB is like it's an interesting, it's an interesting little uh piece of work. Uh, Just for the
0: listeners, it's ROM, uh, yes. Ruby Object Mapper. Yeah, because for some reason at first I was like R A H M, it did not work <laughs> out.
1: So, no, ROM, ROM Emanuel is not uh, <laughs> is not writing his own framework. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, in his in his uh, in his spare time, being Chicago mayor, um, though I wouldn't blame him. Um, so the yeah, ROM Ruby, uh, what is it? Ruby Object Mapper. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Um, it's nice because I'll tell you what I like about it: the compos- the idea of uh, of a lot of uh, single responsibility, like composable objects, mm-hmm, is really mm-hmm, nice, mm-hmm. and splitting apart. Things like uh, looking at your database as a repository and having that be its own thing, and Mm -hmm. then having a query interface. uh, And I guess they call those relations, and then that being its own interface, and then composing those together with a plain Ruby object which could stand as your model Mm -hmm. so there's there's a lot of uh composable elements there that you have to kind of play with and figuring out the relationship between all those has been a bit of a challenge Mm -hmm. um but once you get everything working it's actually really nice and you can make it look as much or as little like an active record model as as you want
0: yeah and so this seems like just looking at this now it seems like it really fits in if you are the type of developer that tries to make the active record model basically do as little as possible. And then you mm-hmm. like encapsulate the actual actions and services or a separate class or whatever. Um, it seems like this is going that route instead of doing the active record pattern of active record where, yeah, you know, you can read to you know, hit the database, model your objects all in one, uh, one pass. Do you, now, do, are you like generally speaking? Are you the type of uh, developer that tries to keep all that logic out of the re- active record models, or
1: uh, in general, I try. In general, there are spots where I do. Um, yeah. There, there, there are spots where it's just throwing way, way, way too much into active record models. Starts, you start feeling some pain mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I, I try not to prematurely. Uh, refactor or optimize um, as this stuff is happening, but there are certain areas where I would lean more towards um, going that route of pulling everything out of ActiveRecord as much as possible, like especially forms. So um, form objects are something that I started reaching for a lot more, um, and it just feels cleaner, especially when there are more when there's more than one uh model that is being interacted with in a form um form objects really really help encapsulate all that just being able to throw validations and um general business logic into a form object uh and then wrap around all your active record models has been really really nice and it's done a really good job because accepts nested attributes is just a i would hazard i would probably. I have opinions, and uh, (laughs) I think that that one in particular is just something to avoid as much as possible, Um, and I've had bad experiences with accepts nested attributes, so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like that's definitely one thing that that I would would lean more towards. But things like taking out validations entirely, or, or I don't even know, like you can get pretty crazy with it but uh you know i think i think active record does a really really good job with what it does Mm -hmm. it just does a lot yeah um interesting yeah but it's it's been an inch it's been a really great exercise in figuring out exactly how much does active record do for you um and it turns out it does like a lot more than you would realize but um in terms of in terms of having something that integrates well with Sinatra, I've been pretty happy with uh, Rom Emanuel's Object Relational ma- <laughs> Mapper.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's so good! Um,
1: but you guys, you guys are straight Active Record over there at the yeah,
0: yeah, basically. Um, I mean, some stuff is just um, like straight SQL, uh, but the majority of everything is still Active Record.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been playing with views too, so throwing a bunch of stuff into into views, um, which has been nice. Um, I like that, uh, not views like on the view layer, but database views, mm. um, which has been pretty cool, especially like full text search stuff. Uh, it's been very handy. Um, GitHub, GitHub is. Are you guys still on four? Or?
0: your <laughs> four is coming <laughs> um uh we're so we're definitely uh really desperately trying to get to master basically as, you know mm-hmm. as soon as is feasible but um but right now we're 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 still i think on a three two hybrid of of things as we like slowly move the app up up and up and up uh through the versions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know i think the main reason to be just totally honest is like now now there are some things that are obviously more performant which is super great but at the same time we're also like sick and tired of hacking in uh, fixes or updates or improvements that we can't upstream because we're just so far behind uh, so instead of keeping things back for so long we want to get up to speed both on Ruby and Rails uh, so that way as we make a changes, as we make performance adjustments as, you know, as those things all happen we can just say here's a patch and now everyone can have it which is something that you know, historically GitHub hasn't done really uh, because we've lagged so far behind the community in terms of keeping Things up to date,
1: yeah. You read my. You, you read. You read my mind. I, I was gonna say, like, as soon as you guys are up to date and caught up, I'm sure that the Rails core team would love to see that kind of.
0: Yeah, um, and like it's so. So granted, in my little corner of the world, like working on GraphQL stuff, there's like the GraphQL Ruby gem, which is mainly built by this one maintainer, Robert. Uh, Masalgo and we started working with him when we started using the gem just sort of like collaborating and talking about performance and giving patches and it's been it was really great and then we announced that we're using GraphQL and we're announced we announced like we're using this gem and, and then the gem got a ton more traffic than it was getting because before it was like a bunch of companies that were using it but it wasn't really a huge public thing and now it's a huge public thing and there's actually a really great tweet you can look at like the contributions graph for the mm. repo and how it's like you know, doing doing well, and then like, boom, like quadruple, ten times the amount of contributions that it's ever had, and so it's kind of funny because like for us, we're we're. Just to keep up with a gem that's moving quickly takes a fair amount of time because you know we have to go okay did this introduce a performance regression we can't just put this out to production and and pray that the site doesn't go down and so we have to do a fair amount of testing each time which is like uh, is very interesting because you want something that's agile that can move fast that can improve itself quickly uh, which is why we you know said oh yeah we'll just build on top of this open source gem and you know contribute back fixes but we we ran into a situation recently where we wrote a bunch of code for the for this gem and we wanted to sort of try it out first internally before we upstreamed it to make sure that you know the the improvement was like sound like it wasn't just something that is good in a bubble um and but by the time we were ready to upstream it the gems underlying like structure had changed so significantly that it was essentially not possible to just upstream we would have had to rework what we had and so then we you know to attempt to keep up and attempt to help the community we basically said all right we're gonna give up on our approach and try and match the approach of the gem but it's one of the interesting things of working at github is just that like there are so many secondary concerns that tend to slow down that adoption but we want to like we really really want to it's just uh it's, it's work. You know, it's a decision. Uh, whereas I think a lot of times when folks talk about open source, it's uh, like, oh, well, you should contribute back. It'd be really helpful. And I don't think anyone doesn't want to. It's just a matter of, you know, you have to prioritize that as like a business function. You know, you have to decide that it's better to support the communities because the community is inevitably supporting you. uh, And that's just going to take time. Like someone's going to have to work at that and keep that going. So I think it's an interesting I think it's an interesting mix and why one of the reasons I was excited to sort of have you uh, join in as a sort of, you know, semi regular guest here is because folks that have experience with rails 5. <laughs> you know, yeah. It is like it's like a interesting new mix and if you end up, you know, with uh when I was consulting at least you're able to work on a, a v- wide variety of projects and so you don't get sort of pigeonholed into active record, you know, like you have right. experience with rom or like I was looking at lotus which I think is now called hanami. yeah uh, uh and like though it's it's interesting cuz it's just difficult to um, give those things a look and a try in a serious way in our uh, in, in my day job, you know? Uh, And so I could do like a little side project. That's like a weekend uh, or less, but I just never feel like I really grasp the thing that I'm working on. It's more just like, yep, it does what they said on the tin, Uh, you know, and then back to the salt mines I go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a
1: downside. That's, that's a big downside to, to being, part of such a large organization with so much responsibility and so much power and with great yeah. power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and, uh, I think, I think it's a, I think it's really, I think it's really great that you, the decision made by the organization was to shift gears and, and go back in a direction that benefits the project. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys have years and years of, uh, uh Experience in in those sorts of things, and and I think that a lot of that informs how obviously it informs how you would have approached that decision. A lot of people just said screw it and, and like forked it and you know kept it in the branch. But uh, yeah, I think it's really great that you're doing that. And man, uh, just you're preaching to the choir with regards to just how involved you can be with all these cool shiny new toys. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it goes. It goes from just trying out new gems and projects and whatever language you use every day to a glut of all these new shiny languages that everyone's screaming at you to to try <laughs> at to try yeah. uh, every day. Um, and so, is Haskell yours now? <laughs> oh no 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 no! That, I mean, it's one of them. I mean, between Haskell and Go and uh, Elixir. And you know, every, like the three hundred JavaScript frameworks out there. Uh, what about
0: Crystal now? That's I think the other one that's, uh I was talking to Mike Purim about that a little bit a yeah. couple months ago.
1: Yeah, Crystal Crystal is really compelling. I'd, I'd love to I'd love to work on that and 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 try something out with that. Like I have a couple ideas for small little things just at home to mm-hmm. to play around. Mm-hmm. Uh, use Crystal to play around with. Um, but yeah, like crystal is definitely one of them. I mean there's there's so many. I just feel like everything is rust. I mean there's <laughs> there's more there's more than uh, I could ever possibly try to yeah uh, wrap my head around but
0: remember the good old days where it was just uh, cgi php and ruby <laughs> i do i really <laughs> and then, do and i was I was never really in the microsoft-based technologies because i couldn't afford any of it and so oh. uh I, I i i missed that whole part of my you dodge that bullet you that bullet.
1: yeah yeah i did asp classic i remember those days Oof.
0: it's interesting watching it all come back around though i feel uh like microsoft recently uh being able to use is it Mm asp.net something you know on a bunch of different platforms and uh i don't know i I find it i find it interesting just how the cycle kind of continues and uh what's new is old and so on and so forth
1: yeah yeah i i've just i've pretty much given myself the permission to just not worry too much about it and enjoy doing what it is that I do what we do, yeah, and not stress out too much about it. Um, I mean, it it just turns into so much noise that uh, you know what I I'm more concerned and happy making products and solutions than I am tinkering with the innards of a toy. I I was that way, you know, ten years ago, but now I would much rather build something, and it's the something and not the the tool used to build it that i care about too much mm. so yeah i mean every once in a while you'll feel that tug but in due time good sir all <laughs> in due time
0: awesome well joel i've really uh, loved having you on hopefully we can make this a semi-regular thing sure uh, Yeah talk about talk about a lot more new stuff and what you're <laughs> up to while i uh Pull my glasses down upon my nose to understand (laughs) what's going on. (laughs) The the tables have turned. Usually, I'm like the crotchety old man.
1: Um, But yeah, this was this was a great time. I had I had a really good time. So thanks for having me on, Kyle.
0: That was that went pretty well. We're we're back in the swing of things. We'll see you in two weeks. If you want to chat with me or ask me any questions, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at KDagle, or you can email me by going to my website, kyleDagle.com. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast.